Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We wanted to put this on on Thursday so then after everybody's eaten, they can just turn it on and sit in their food coma and listen to murder and good stuff. I think that sounds fair. Yeah. I think that sounds fair. We just didn't tell anybody. Well, to be f- extra fair, we didn't tell anyone because no one follows us on social media. Oh, that's fair. So even if we wanted to tell you, we couldn't. No. Because you don't know we exist. Yes. Now, that's not fair to like the two or three people that actually are have liked us on Facebook and yeah. things. So I apologize to the three of you. <laughs> Sorry. We're not great at posting stuff yet. But we're here now. That's all that matters. Yeah. So you're welcome. Thursday Thanksgiving surprise. I hope you enjoy your socially distanced Thanksgiving if you're listening to this in the morning. Yes. I hope you enjoyed your socially distanced uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this after. Otherwise, I'm Mike. And I'm Brandy. And, and this, this is Sunshine, Sunshine and Murder. So hello again. Hi. Hi. Hello, post intro audience. <laughs> if you're still listening, which I would hope so. Welcome. Welcome back to Sunshine and Murder. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing what. I'm sorry, I didn't do research today, so I don't have a story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Murders happened. I'm done. Sunshine and rainbows. You're welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Easy episode. Yep. Like, share, subscribe. Wait, no, wrong, wrong uh, platform. <laughs> I guess you could still subscribe. It's not subscribing though, is it? Yeah. Is that what they call it for podcasts? That's you what still the subscribe button has. To a podcast? That's what the button says. Okay, well in that case, it's not like, share, subscribe. It's no. Review, share, subscribe. Yes. Rate, share, subscribe. Yes, there we there go. You that's, go. The, that's the winner. We that's got it. We finally got it. Cough, cough. Travis Blades. Cough, cough. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> You're just gonna call him out every time. Every until time he... until it happens. He said the he, his friend. Shout out to his friend who his name he said once and I don't remember now. I was not told the name, so that's my excuse. You know, I would know your name if you wrote a review, <laughs> but I was told that you'd be writing one this weekend because Travis is gonna make you. So thank you for the review that you are about to write. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's anyway. gonna be terrible. He's gonna be like zero stars. I hate it. They're rude to their audience. I wish they would just stop they talking. They make them feel bad all the time. God. No. Their uh, opinions are awful. Well, yeah, sometimes. I mean, that's fair. That is totally fair. Uh, <laughs> that being said, <laughs> uh, what do you have for me? This okay. So I am going to tell you the story of Byron David Smith. Byron David Smith. Yes. Okay. So since my last two stories were a little on the short side... Yeah, because you were being lit. No, I mean, we were being lit. No, because we wanted to give our audience a break. Yes. It was all for you. (laughs) I figured I would have one that 
is a little bit more. Okay. I'm going to laugh if somehow you say this one so fast that it's like shorter than your other two stories. It probably will be. Don't worry. Actually, it won't be because I have audio for this one. Ooh. Yeah. We're getting fancy on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Fancy on Thanksgiving. This actually took place on Thanksgiving. Oh, nice. You got a Thanksgiving story. I actually have a sort of topical uh, Mm. Thanksgiving thing, too. That's why I picked this one. So, we're going all the way back to 2012. (laughs) We're going way, way back. Way, way back. Back to when the world ended. (laughs) I think it really did end, and we're just living in some weird, disturbing purgatory. Isn't isn't the joke that, which is in 2012, when did that happen? When did Harambe happen? Do I need to Google that? I'm going to Google that. Probably. Because that's the, that's the internet joke. The internet joke that Wasn't I see all the time. Was it 2012? Was it 2012? I think so. Oh, God. If it happened in 2012, the world totally ended in Because I'm pretty sure the that was when the Mayan calendar thing no, happened. No, 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 no. Harambe was 2016. Ah. But uh, the joke is that, uh, man, wow. I Time, like, sort of just all blends together. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, everything that didn't happen this year just feels like it's all sort of happened in the Years past. I don't ago. know when. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. But then I talk about the 90s like it was also just like recently. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when I think about yeah. being a kid and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was like a couple years ago. And it's like, no, that was like yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big difference. You're old. <laughs> um, do you want to compare birthdays? Try me. I look good for 64. You sure do. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, off topic. The world ended in 2012 and or 2016 if you subscribe to the Harambe theory. Mm-hmm. We're going to a little town called Little Falls, Minnesota. Nice. And which I, I looked it up. And in 2012, they had a population of 8,747. So actually small town. A super small town. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about a two-hour drive kind of northwest of Minneapolis, if anybody cares. <laughs> if you're from the region or wanted to Google map it, now you know. Yeah. No, you don't have to. I did it for you. <laughs> you're welcome. So Byron David Smith was born on June 11th. June 11th. 1948. Okay. He grew up in Little Falls, so that's where he was from. He graduated second in his high school class in 1966. Do you know how many people were in the high school class? No, but probably not a Was it whole two? Lot. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> no, I think it was three. I'm sure it was more than two. It okay. was more than two. Got it. He did spend a brief time in college, but he joined the Air Force. Okay. Because it was during the Vietnam War and everything oh, in got 1968. It, got it, got it. So it wasn't like he was too stupid to go to college. No. Yeah. No. Oh. We'll get there. Well, I mean, he did graduate. I mean, it's a small town, but. But yes. Big fish, little pond. He became a decorated soldier mm-hmm. when he was in the Air Force. And he put his time in. When he left, he went to college in California to finish his electrical engineering degree. Okay. That yep. answers that question. And he became a security engineering officer for the U.S. State Department. That's pretty solid. Right? That's awesome. I mean, it's probably going to be very unawesome here soon, but... For right now. It's pretty awesome. Good for him. So as a security engineering officer. Tell me how he threw his life away. (laughs) He traveled a lot because Mm -hmm. I guess at U.S. embassies in different countries, he was in charge of setting up the security system. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. 
So huge responsibility, I would think. Yeah, couple that they mentioned were like he went to Moscow, Bangkok, Beijing, and he he not only set up the security systems, he designed them at the embassies. Okay, so very smart, capable yes. person. Yeah. Yes, and can you imagine the stuff he overheard? <laughs> Or, like, the stuff he saw. Yeah, oh, for sure. Well, at the embassy in different countries. Mm-hmm. Especially considering he's dealing with all this sort of, like, security infrastructure of everything. Yeah. So he's, like, in all the nooks and crannies of yes. that place. Yeah. Yes, because he has to be able to see everything. Yeah. Because if he doesn't, that's a way in for somebody who shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to jump forward to 2009. Pretty big jump. Yep. Smith moved back to his hometown, so he moved back to Little Falls. Okay retired retired back home got it and he actually lived in the same house he grew up in so when he moved back he just moved back into the same house that he lived in when he was still there or something like wow i'm i've always been sort of jealous of those people that like although i don't know at the same time because it's like it i feel like i wouldn't be who i am today if i didn't like move around a bunch and like see all these different places and experience all these different things Mm -hmm. but there's always a part of me that's still super jealous of people that like grew up in the same house in the same neighborhood had all the same friends knew all their neighbors everyone's like i I don't know i think it could be cool i think me personally i would get bored well and i i agree but i don't know if that's because i grew up moving around so much so if i try to do it now Mm -hmm. i would probably get incredibly bored like i'm ready to move again already oh 100 percent. yeah but I didn't grow up moving around. True. And you said you would get bored still. And we've been, I mean, the two-year mark. And I'm like, okay, now what? Yeah, it's like, let's go. What's next? Yeah. It's like, we're here. I've seen this. Yeah. Now I think what? that's why I like film so much too, though, is because now I'm sort you of can, totally divert. Like, <laughs> you can move around. Yeah. Like, it works. Yeah. It's like we can Does that mean Albuquerque around. is next? I mean, we almost moved to Albuquerque. We did. The Sinhalese. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, actually a pretty huge possibility. Yeah. Um, but then we ended up, you know, getting into the movie movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was close. That was close. Yeah. Although we would have been a couple years early, I guess, in the sort of in the boom. Yeah, but you would have been at like we would have been poised, Sinalisa. sort of. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was the the Albuquerque Studios that Netflix bought, and then is like now moving Stranger Things to and everything. Uh, is the studio that again I mm-hmm. told you earlier we were yeah. staying across the street at because they have the whole housing area and yep. then that's when we were building the new Sinalese like equipment locker stage yeah. whatever you want to call it in yeah. so it would have been sort of right there mm-hmm. what's happening so that would have been cool but we didn't do that <laughs> but we didn't do that back to my story thank you for interrupting so this house was on about ten acres yeah. Because when I said it was small town, everybody has property. It's not like here in California where nobody has property. Mm-hmm. But also, that means he was very isolated from his neighbors. Because, you know, if you live on 10 acres, no one lives close to you. Yeah. At least, you know, shouting distance. So one problem with living in a small town is bored teenagers know when you're not home. So Smith's house was burglarized about six times in the months leading up to Thanksgiving. Hold on. The man whose job it was to, like, install security systems and deal with all the sort of security infrastructure didn't have a security system in Not his at home? first. He did install one later after the break-ins. Okay. But for some reason, he didn't install one at first, I guess, because they never had a problem with break-ins. Why would you think that you would have a problem now all of a sudden? Yes. No, I get it. I get it. But it seems like 
your since your job is like installing security systems and all of that, yeah. you see everything or at least are aware of everything that happens. Yeah. So why wouldn't you just install one in your house to begin with? Yeah, I don't it know. seems it just like seems you would be weird. safety conscious. Yes, a hundred percent agreed. And at least in this point, he wasn't, and it seems a bit odd. Yeah, hundred percent agreed. But moving on. Moving on. They stole thousands of dollars in cash. I didn't have an actual number. Mm-hmm. He estimated about $40,000. Oh, wow. But it, everything just said thousands. They also stole a watch his father received after being held as a POW for over a year mm-hmm. in World War II. Prisoner of war for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> they stole ribbons and medals that he earned in the Air Force during the Vietnam War. I hate stuff yep. like that. Come on. They also took several firearms and jewelry. And then after all the break-ins, not only did he install that security system, but he began wearing a holster with a loaded gun around his house. Just constantly. Yes. Because he was like, I don't know when they're coming. Ready to blow. And well, and I mean, I would also be, I guess, a little more, especially, I would assume it's probably the same people, mm-hmm. right? If they, if it's been several break-ins. Yeah. They stole your guns now. Yes. So you know they probably have guns. I would also be very concerned. Yeah. So Smith suspected the daughter of one of his neighbors. Okay. Which I feel like makes sense because this doesn't seem like an easy place to get to. Yeah, and they would know where it is. They would know where he usually parks his truck. Yeah. They would know when he's not home. So I feel like it makes sense. So in a police interview, Smith told them that the first time his house was broken into, they broke into the garage. Mm Mm-hmm. Ripped up a bunch of boxes. Okay. Broke a bunch of glass. Sure. And stole some clothes that he had in there, like in trash bags, like to donate and stuff or to put away. You mean the perpetual bags that we always have, like sitting by the door ready to go? Yes. It could also have been like that's how he was storing oh, them. Oh, no. Sure, sure, sure. But let's, I mean, be, let's be honest. It's probably to donate. Yeah. You never saw our garage in Kansas City. <laughs> so he actually said, quote, I try not to be sexist, but when someone breaks in and ignores the tools but takes the clothes, I tend to think it was a woman. Uh... Before you say anything, the clothing was military clothing. So it's not women's clothing that he's like throwing out. It's unisex. And also, women are not the only people who wear clothes. (laughs) Accurate. But like also, if they... Or just clothes in general. They would just be his clothes. Why would women be stealing his clothes? Yeah. I guess. Like, I don't see, know. I'm that just, yeah. I just didn't I didn't get. Like if it was his mother's clothes he was throwing out or like something. Even it would make a little more sense. I with could his just be statement. like, Okay, it's a little weird and wrong, yes. but like at least you but can sort of point it, to something, it I guess. It wasn't so yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Agreed. So then he told police that Ashley Williams, which is the daughter of his neighbor, the neighbor, was seen wearing his Air Force jacket the following week, which was in that bag. Mm. He How said, did you wear it out? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. He said her parents were, quote, nasty people, and he tried to avoid them at any point in time. I don't know why he didn't like them. I don't know if he had any sort of run-in with them or what, or if it's just because of her. I don't know. But either way. And according to him, the 
clothing was like dropped from his driveway to their house like it led the perfect breadcrumb yes right back this interview that he's talking about he's talking to the police and was not him reporting anything it was after the incident so he never talked to them about this he said he files reports police don't have any no evidence of reports being filed so yeah got it don't know if that actually happened because there's no record of it to be fair it wouldn't be the first time that like records just never oh yeah got like or... stuff from police disappear or never get filed all the time yeah. but if your house is being broken to numerous times and they have zero n- record. zero record it seems yeah. a little like suspicious definitely so on october 27th okay 2012 smith made a report to the police that someone had broken into his house again he said he reported all the other ones but they don't have a record of it Smith is extremely paranoid at this point in time because they keep breaking into his house. No matter what he does, they mm-hmm. like he can't get them to stop. And according to him, he's making reports to the police and they're not doing not anything about it. Yeah. yeah. So he refused to leave the house anymore because he was afraid every time he leaves, it gets broken into. So he's like, well, I'm not leaving. Shutting himself inside. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense because... I I think I would too. If my house was being broken into constantly every mm-hmm. time I leave, I would probably stop leaving. Yeah. I would also get like an electric fence and all of this stuff, yeah. but I would stop leaving. 100%. Yeah. So this break in, someone kicked in the basement door. Oh jeez. Like there's a panel on the basement door. They kicked, kicked it. that in, unlocked the door, and he said it happened between 11:30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Because he left to go to St. Cloud at 11.30 a.m. to go shopping. And he got back at 6 p.m. The way you said that makes me incredibly suspicious of what he was really doing in St. Cloud. He said he was going shopping, so but, I don't know what you mean. Okay. Got it. Supposed to be suspicious. Got I also it. don't know if I believe him because he had to have like been shopping for a while because he was gone for five and a half hours. How long is St. Cloud from where he lives? 35 minutes. Oh. That's a, that's a long time. It's a 35-minute drive, so like, and he was gone for five and a half hours. Hour back and forth. I mean, look, maybe he's like us, and he's just like a peruser, likes to wander around. Which is fair. Because when you go to like the outlets and stuff, you know. Absolutely. Like, it takes forever. Absolutely. We haven't done that in like a year, but. We have you know. not. But that's the only thing that makes sense. Or like he had a bunch of places to go to, like something had to get fixed, you know, he had to wait on something, whatever yeah. it was. But again, the way you're saying this makes me think it ties in. It does not. I ha- That's all the information I have about that trip. Talk about all the buildup, none of the payoff. Yeah. Uh, it's because I want to know what he was doing, and I don't have that. So I'm very suspicious. I, I think he was doing something that he shouldn't have been. So. Digress. Yes. This break-in followed the same patterns as the others. It happened during the day when he was gone, which means someone or multiple people were watching him or at least like telling other people like the people who are breaking in Mm -hmm. because again this house is on over 10 acres you don't just happen to walk by Mm -hmm. like oh he's gone again let's break in that's not how this works it's just not yeah no i agree are you ready for the fun murder stuff here we go (laughs) here we go november 22nd 2012 thanksgiving day Smith moved his truck away from his house that morning. Uh, 
went into his basement, pressed record on a tape recorder, which apparently he had been doing for a couple days. Like anytime he's in his house in the basement, he turns on the tape recorder just in case someone breaks in. Then Smith sat in his basement in a chair at the bottom of the stairs with two guns. So because he recorded it, we can play it. But I'm going to warn you, it's graphic. Wait, this is what you want to play for me? Yes. So Uh, if you want to skip ahead a bit, I won't be mad. Sorry about that. used to live in fear. I am not a bleeding heart, I promise. I felt like I was cleaning up a mess. Not like spilled food. Not like vomit. Not even like it. Not even like diarrhea. I cannot 
live a life like that. I cannot have that chewing on me for the rest of my life. I, I cannot. So, that was a thing. So I'm going to point out a few things. Yeah, go ahead. After that. There is about, it's sped up a little. There's about mm-hmm. a 10 minute gap from the first set of footsteps you hear to the second. And then when you hear him say, oh, sorry, that wasn't because he shot her like he was surprised or something. It's because the gun jammed. So he used the other one that he had. And I feel this is the most important one. He laid out tarps. You could hear like the rustling. Mm -hmm. He had tarps ready. What? Mm What? What? Like, he thought it was his neighbor, like his neighbor's daughter. Mm-hmm. So he was prepared and planning on murdering a bunch of kids. Because according to him, it's teenagers breaking into his house. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he was right. The two people that broke into his house that day were 17-year-old Nick Brady and his cousin, 18-year-old Haley Kiefer. After he killed both of them, he moved their bodies onto the tarp, which is what you heard. Then he moved them into his workshop. He said the tarp was there because he was covering up firewood in the basement. But who's going to believe that? Come on. Also in the recording, I didn't play this part because we don't have this part. He starts saying the same thing over and over and over again. Like, we heard part of it when he said he was he felt like he was cleaning up a mess it's almost like he was practicing for the police what he was gonna say may no i mean maybe but to me the way he's like talking after the fact to me it sounds like someone who's like sort of gone off the deep end a little oh absolutely he's sort of lost it at this point yeah maybe he's rehearsing to me it just sounds like he's sort of like having like a sort of schizophrenic or like some sort of break you know Again, we don't have this part, so I can't play it. But that particular one, he says it over and over again, changing, like, one word each time until, Mm -hmm. like, he says it the last way, which is what we heard. Mm. So if you can find it and you want to listen to it, you can. Yeah. But it, it does come off in a way of, like, he's trying to find his words for someone else. Yeah. Just because of how many times he repeats it. Maybe. Okay. But everything else is just him rambling like you heard. So it does does seem like he's lost it. Which, again, he was paranoid about these people breaking into his house all the time. So it makes sense that he... Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. Also, for all the would-be murderers out there, don't record yourself murdering someone in cold blood mm-hmm. i'm not sure what, what state is this minnesota i'm not sure if minnesota has a stand your ground law or like a castle you know <laughs> defense but if he didn't record it there's a very good chance he could have got away with it mm-hmm. there's yep. a there's a very good chance that he could have moved his truck back and well i mean put the tarp down too that kind of wasn't like you know that was like 
shows her was like. Do people in Minnesota cover their firewood with tarps in their basement? Yeah, yeah. It shows her was like thought, you know, yeah. put into it. But he probably could have gotten away with it. They broke in. They threatened me. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. They stole my guns before. I was worried that they were gonna, you know, he he could have probably got away with it, yeah. but he recorded it. Um, um, another part of the recording, he starts practicing phone calls that he's going to make. And in one of them, he says, I know I don't have an appointment, but I would like to speak to one of the lawyers here. So, yeah, that, you don't get any of that in the recording that we no. listen to. The recording that no. we listen to, it literally sounds like he's, like, lost it. Yes. But that, with that context, yeah. sort of reframes the whole thing, yeah. yeah. So he doesn't call the police. He waits. And then the next day, he calls his friend, Bill Anderson, and says, I think I solved the break-ins. I think it's over. Then he asks Bill to call the police instead of calling the police himself. Yeah, I don't know. For being a book-smart, well-learned man, doesn't seem like the smartest thing to do. No. He really set himself up for failure like 100 yes. like, percent. yes there's a pretty solid he's got a well, we heard the recording but mm-hmm. he had not like an incredible case but if he lied his way through it after he called the police and said there's a break-in and he shot two people i think there's a pretty solid you know dead people make bad witnesses yes but also without the audio recording he also did have that security system because he had like cameras or something yes uh, okay yeah, so that would have been a problem, too. Yeah. So when the police arrive, Smith is sitting outside waiting for them. They search the house. He tells them that there are bodies in the workshop because they broke into the house. Uh, when they asked why he waited until the next day to call the police, he said so he wouldn't ruin their Thanksgiving. Thoughtful. Yeah, even though there are people already on call for Thanksgiving, so, so not really. they're still working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he didn't know that. I don't know. Why did he call his friend and ask him to call the police? No idea. He never said? Nope. Nope. So here are his versions of the events. He was sitting in a chair in his basement reading when someone try- started trying to open the front door, like jiggling the handle. Mm-hmm. Then he sees a shadow cross the window, and then someone tries to open the basement door. Then he sees the shadow again. Here's glass breaking then he hears footsteps upstairs so at this point he said he's freaking out because he's like someone's in the house yeah for sure then he sees someone coming down the stairs which like i said is almost directly in front of him on the chair that he's sitting in he said he was scared for his life so he shot the person then he sits down to catch his breath and he hears more footsteps Ten minutes later. And sees another person coming down the stairs, so he shot her. After the first shot, she fell down the stairs. He went over to shoot her again because he didn't want her to suffer. The gun jammed, and she laughed at him. We heard the audio. She did not laugh at him. No. And he even admitted that he was mad that Haley laughed at him, so he fired more shots than he needed to to kill her. But she didn't laugh. She didn't laugh at him. Yeah. 
So sometime after the murder, the police found the car that Nick and Haley were using, and inside were stolen items linked to burglaries that happened the night before at a couple different houses. So they've been breaking into places yeah. for a while, yeah. And after Smith's trial, it was proven, and air quotes proven, because it was testimony from a different friend. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have any, like, actual evidence that he did it, but Nick and the friend that testified broke into Smith's house before. So according to this friend, Nick was one of the people that was breaking into Smith's house on the other occasions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the other times that it happened too. Yeah. So Smith was arrested and charged with two counts of second degree murder. Okay. Prosecution said that they believed Nick and Haley did in fact break into Smith's house. Mm Mm-hmm. But his reaction went well over Minnesota's law for self-defense. Yes. Yes. His bail was set at $1 million as long as he gave up all of his guns and his passport. Yeah, that's fair. They were like, if you can come up with this money, you can get out, but we take all of your guns and your passport, Mm -hmm. so you can't go anywhere. This case had the city divided. One side was saying he he killed two kids. He shouldn't get bail at all and the other said he was just defending his home uh, yeah. and himself so he shouldn't even be in jail yeah i mean that's that was a duh of course people are gonna yeah. be like up in arms about this yeah. so for the the grand jury when mm-hmm. the prosecution took all their evidence and showed him presented it the grand jury indicted him for two counts of premeditated yeah. first degree murder yeah, you said second degree and i'm like um that shit was premeditated yes clearly now again if he didn't have the security camera footage and didn't record himself, he probably would have been okay. He still he still would have been probably second degree murder just because of everything else that well, happened. He, he still went above and beyond. Like yes. he shot multiple times. Yes. It wasn't like waited a, till the next day. Exactly. There's still too much yeah. there that he it probably still would have been murder. But, Absolutely. But he did not do himself any favors in no. his case. No. I'm sure his lawyer was very happy. Oh, yeah. Had to combat all of this evidence that they had that he gave them. Yeah. So his trial began in 2014, and the prosecution said he went over the line when he shot them more than once and when he moved his car to make it look like he wasn't home because that shows that he wants them to break in. He was trying to lure them inside. Yes. The defense, like his defense, was he moved his truck so he could clean out the garage that's why it wasn't there that's why it was hidden from view yeah and again i know i've said it before but this guy lives on over 10 acres Mm -hmm. you don't have to move your vehicle that far to clean out the garage you can also arguably just park it like in front of the garage yeah but say he wants to pull everything out of the garage and put it on the front okay so you put it on the vehicle on the side of the, of the house yeah, like, like come on it doesn't that doesn't track at all so i don't i don't get that sounds like they were grasping at straws i think so yeah so his defense focused on the fear that he had like mm-hmm. the fear he was living with just coming home and seeing everything gone and then like you said the guns were gone so he didn't know if they were still in the house if they were armed whatever and he said he lived in fear every single day which i think was fair 
but maybe not to this extent. Mm-hmm. Also, the defense blamed Nick and Haley. Their whole thing was if they never broke into Smith's house, there would never be a trial. Come on. Which, yes, that's true. But also, if you didn't shoot them multiple times. Again, like, you don't have a case for self-defense after all the evidence that, like, you would have had one. You could have had one. Yeah. You don't have one. No. But also, I feel like that leads to another question. If they didn't break in or if the break-in stopped before he killed them, would he have eventually, like, kind of leveled out? his living in fear thing or would he just kill somebody else like his neighbor's daughter would he have ended up shooting her just because he was like oh she's the one that keeps breaking in yeah i just don't i i feel like whether genetically or through all of the break-ins and everything that was going on something in him snapped and he should have been seeking professional help yeah i mean it like i said the the audio that we heard yes he sounds like a paranoid like schizo who's like freaking out and living in fear constantly yeah 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 uh and that person sounds like they need mental help yes i agree (laughs) all the other things that you're telling me with the other context of other audio that we're not hearing this that and the other yeah he probably still had a break yes obviously but to what extent you know Mm -hmm. so on april 29th 2014 The jury found Smith guilty of four counts of murder, two counts of first-degree murder with premeditation, and two counts of second-degree murder. So they convicted him of everything. And then after the verdict was read, he was immediately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, which he was 64 when this happened in 2012. So probably not going to be that long. Nah, probably not. Just a couple things I'm going to give you about Nick and Haley. Haley Kiefer was 18 years old. She was a senior at Little Falls High School. She did have some problems with the police and drug abuse. At 18, she already had 19 different run-ins with police that ranged from, like, you know, speeding ticket or whatever to, like, burglary. and Sure. Uh, Nick Brady was her 17-year-old cousin. He was a junior at Pillager High School. And he worked at his father's tree trimming business. I guess they were both popular kids and had a lot of friends. They weren't like outcasts or anything. Mm-hmm. They just so they were to probably really just doing it for fun or to like get money so they could get high. The generic response. <laughs> Those darn kids getting high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess the real question to everybody. And I fully expect emails or comments on something to tell me what everybody thinks. Was he right in protecting himself? Or is he a crazy person? Because I think he's a crazy person. Both. Think he was driven crazy? I think I think both. 100%. Now, again, the fact that there weren't police reports filed that we have evidence of. Yeah. Uh, sort of leads to to the belief that maybe he always wanted to handle this on his own that's fair you know what i mean i feel uh, like that fits that stereotypical like out in the middle of nowhere yeah, yeah, yeah. no 100 percent. so with that in mind yeah he might just be crazy 
mm-hmm. you know, and like yeah. he was wanting to do something. But yeah. there's certainly a chance that he was driven to this sort of craziness, driven to the edge where he was ready to snap and did snap, obviously. Yeah. But if he was driven to it, mm-hmm. I 100% think he was justified in protecting himself. That does not excuse everything that happened after that. Yeah. And the premeditation that went into it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, totally different. Yeah. Setting up a sting operation so you get robbed so you can kill the people shows that you're kind of crazy. Yes. Being driven to do that, I guess, it, it's it's not an excuse, but it at least explains the behavior. Yeah. Uh, but I think both. I think he's obviously a crazy person who may have been driven to, to do, do the crazy thing. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I got. I am sorry for bringing everybody down. Yeah. Literally, fuck you. F-bomb. I, cool. Let me hear two people get murdered. Great. I, I Just how I wanted to spend my night. Did say that we could listen to a little bit of it, and if you're not feeling it, we could stop it. That's literally the opening <laughs> of the video. Yes. Or the audio for you people. You people? That sounded rude. <laughs> There was, by the time it happened, there was no like, oh, I could stop it. So thank you. You're welcome. And to all you audience members who were tricked into listening to that by Bernie Taylor also, I apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm going to tell you beforehand that I have audio because I have a very big problem of it not affecting me like that. Well, that's the thing is like sometimes I'm totally fine with things, but there's a, I don't know, it's sometimes my brain is in a mood where it's like yeah this is not fine but like yeah this is okay my, i can handle this yeah no i wasn't in that mood today i just i just found out apparently yeah, while I'm listening sorry. to it yeah i i'm desensitized to it unfortunately yeah. and that does not affect me like that yeah anyway happy thanksgiving happy thanksgiving i'm gonna need a break before we uh get into the other one okay Take the dog out. Okay. Breathe. File Woosa. divorce papers. Woosa. Woosa. Fuck you and your divorce papers. Ad break. Ad break. Ad break. Ad break. <laughs> and that is where the ads would go. If we had any. <sighs> okay. I've recouped. I've tried to forget about the horrible things Brandy subjected my ears to. So let's get to the good stuff. Good stuff. So with everyone here in the U.S. preparing to gorge themselves on cornucopious, get it, (laughs) get it, amounts of turkey and stuffing and what might be one of the greatest displays of overindulgence ever, I thought now, Brandy Taylor and listening audience, would be the perfect time to remind everyone that about 690 million people go to bed hungry every night. Oh, good fun. Yeah, good fun. Not to mention one in three children in low and middle class income countries suffers from chronic malnutrition. And nearly half of all child deaths worldwide are from causes related to undernutrition. Oh, God. And just to drive that point home a little farther in case you weren't paying attention yet, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, 1.3 billion tons of food is wasted globally each year, which equates to about one-third of all the food produced for human consumption. This equals out to about 2.6 trillion U.S. dollars annually, and is more than enough food to feed all those people I mentioned before four times over. 
For some at-home numbers for folks here in the U.S., according to the USDA, in 2010, food waste in the U.S. corresponded to approximately 133 billion pounds and $161 billion worth of food. And that was 10 years ago. The numbers may sound overwhelming, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't look beyond our own table and see what we can do to help others. Today, we're talking about action against hunger. I feel like a shitty person. Yeah. Already. You're welcome. Thank you. That was the point. Driving it home, baby. Hey, while you're all eating your 15-pound turkey and just knowing that half of that's going to go in the garbage because you forgot it in the back of your fridge for a week. Are you crying already? I'm so yes. sorry. <laughs> I, thought I, also, wrote, I thought I wrote a pretty good answer. It was great. Also, if anyone hasn't tried out Imperfect Foods. Oh, highly recommended. It's great. Mm-hmm. We are we, we are signed up. Sponsor us. Hey, hey Bird Foods. <laughs> we get produce and fruit from this company that takes the ones that grocery stores won't put out because mm-hmm. they like don't look appealing or whatever the reason yeah. is. And we've gotten some really great things. We got to try what's it called? It's the weird cauliflower. Romanesco. Green- Romanesco. Romanesco. It's the weird like broccoli cauliflower hybrid yes. thing that looks like a forest. Yes. <laughs> the best way to describe it you tried the little kiwi mini kiwi things or whatever yeah they were were like kiwi grapes yeah yeah it was cool those were good we got weird mushrooms but everything we've gotten oh yeah those were great what were they they, uh what do you know i I don't don't know i don't remember it doesn't matter point is actually yes that that is a great thing to mention while we're talking about this companies like that and there's there's tons of them out there but imperfect foods is the one that we just happen to use but that just goes to show you that those are fruits and vegetables that would usually just get scrapped. Yes. Get tossed. Yes. And I have to say, the getting strawberries out here in California mm-hmm. for some reason is really difficult. Every time I go to the store and we get them, mm-hmm. they go bad within like a day a of day. having them. Yeah. We got them from Imperfect Foods. Yeah. And they lasted probably a week. Yeah, not a problem at all. It's weird. And even, again, the stuff that comes, like... It's the stuff that the store won't sell because it's imperfect. You know what yeah. I mean? But, like, it looks fine. Like, I've I don't, had a I, hard I, time I, figuring out why they yeah, didn't. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I guess this spot's a little, like, darker than the rest of it. Or, like, the peppers we got, it was just because there was, like, still some green on the red peppers. Yeah, the red wasn't perfectly red. Yeah. Like, anyway. Okay. Anyway. It's a pepper. <laughs> just eat it. Just <laughs> We're talking about action against hunger. Yes. So they were established in 1979. By a group of French doctors, scientists, and writers. Action Against Hunger is a global humanitarian organization that is committed to ending world hunger. That's their, like, tag. That's what we're doing. Their primary goal is to, quote, create a better way to deal with hunger. Yes. Another quote for you. We save the lives of children and their families. We are there for them before and after disaster strikes. We enable people to provide for themselves, see their children grow up strong, and for whole communities to prosper. We constantly search for more effective solutions while sharing our knowledge and expertise with the world. We push for long-term change. I like that. Me too. Originally, AAH is what I'm going to refer to them as a couple times here just for shorthand. Uh, so I don't have to keep saying action against hunger. They provided assistance to Afghan refugees in Pakistan, famine-stricken Ugandan communities, mm-hmm. and Cambodian refugees in Thailand. So that was sort of how they started was just those groups specifically. Okay. But during the 80s and 90s, they actually expanded, which obviously the 80s were only a year off. But so a couple years yeah, later yeah. and then into the 90s, they expanded to address additional humanitarian concerns in Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, 
and the Balkans and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, wow. So they like slowly but surely over the course of like, you know, 10 years plus sort of they sort of just blossomed outward and sort of like, you know, began to help all these other communities too. Which is great. Oh, my God, yeah. So as we sort of go around the world, uh, AAH has expanded into an international network with headquarters in six countries now. Uh-huh. So they have their uh, – they have, head, their, you know, where they were founded in France. They have headquarters in Spain, Canada, Italy, the U.K., and the U.S. Oh, wow. Uh, each headquarters actually has its own specialty. Well, not its own specialty, but they each have a specialty. Okay. In France, Spain, and the U.S., they're, uh, it's like their operational headquarters. So – they manage all the actual, like, direct on the field stuff that's happening. Okay. So those are the places where, like, most of the actual day-to-day stuff is, like, happening, right? Yeah. In the UK, they're focused on research, monitoring, and evaluation. So lots of the, like, data-focused things are oh. sort of going through the UK. Canada is all about raising public-private funds in North America. And they're starting to slowly, like, play an increasing role on the national level. But they're just okay. all about raising funds in Canada right now. Okay. Italy, they just raise private funds and promote important campaigns in order to sensitize the Italian public opinion on hunger and malnutrition. That was a quote because I don't know how to rephrase that. Hmm. But yeah, those are those locations. Not to mention they also have a West Africa regional office in Dakar, a training center in Nairobi, and five logistic platforms in Lyon, Paris, Barcelona, Dubai, and Panama. Oh, wow. So they're all over the place. Yeah. As of 2019, AAH is actually working in 51 countries around the world with more than 6,000 employees and volunteers helping approximately 13.6 million people. Which is a lot of people. Wow. Uh, not enough people, but that's not their fault. <laughs> of course. You can only reach so many people. Of course. So they break down the different things they do into sort of categories. Okay. Like all the things they're doing to fight malnutrition. The first of which, of course, is nutrition. <laughs> Duh. Uh, which itself is actually broken into several more subcategories. We're going to kind of do this over and over again here for a second, so I apologize if it gets a little redundant. But the first subcategory of nutrition is uh, gathering, analyzing, and sharing data on undernutrition. Uh, I'm just going to use a quote for this one because it's easier. It's to determine prevalence and the root causes of undernutrition in each local context. They analyze both indirect and direct factors and conduct rigorous assessments. So mm-hmm. that's the, like, I mean, it makes sense. If, if you gathering, analyzing, sharing data on undernutrition, yes. which is exactly what that is. Yes. Very sort of cut and dry there. The next one is treating acute undernutrition, which is exactly what it sounds like. For any serious cases of uh, acute malnutrition, they actually just immediately refer them for inpatient treatment mm, so okay. it's like not not worth like if there's going to be a complication or something it's not worth like something going wrong yes uh, but and otherwise they, okay. they actually try to provide local and easy to reach outpatient treatment so they try to bring the treatment to people yeah which makes sense it's well, easier course. to get them to actually get them actual help well especially they don't have these to... more like remote areas yes. if there's not like a hospital or something yeah. nearby you can't anyway. take everybody there yeah but they do this through an approach that they call uh, CMAM, which is just Community Management of Acute Malnutrition. So okay. Just, yeah. Next thing on that list is uh, preventing undernutrition, which sort of goes hand in hand. First and foremost, in emergencies, they do their best to make sure that vulnerable children, pregnant women, and nursing mothers all have access to any supplementary food that they may need for nutritional purposes. Okay. And that's their like top priority. Makes sense. Right off the bat. But they actually, uh, one of the big things they do in this sort of preventing undernutrition, because it, which I'll actually talk about here in a minute, but I guess children, most, the ones most affected by that. I gave you that stat in the beginning, but like I'm going to harp on that again here in a little bit. They're one of the ones like most affected by malnutrition because sometimes their mothers aren't able to breastfeed because yeah. they're not 
getting enough nutrients and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but so they also try to educate and support mothers on the importance of breastfeeding for the first six months. And they try to improve care and feeding practices while also ensuring that children from six months to five years receive adequate micronutrients and protein for healthy development. More on that later <laughs> because it's pretty awesome. The programs also provide pregnant women and new mothers with peer support groups that are facilitated by health workers. They do this to encourage and promote good nutrition, hygiene, sanitation, care practices for mothers, infants, young children, all that. All that good stuff. All the good stuff. No, for real, though, this company's pretty fucking awesome. Uh, sorry for the F-bomb. That's a fun F-bomb, though, not like the other F-bomb. Um, the last thing for nutrition is uh, they strengthen local capacity and build resilience, which is, I think, pretty darn important, which is sort of goes in hand-in-hand hand with the next category in general. But they train local healthcare workers and partners to screen and treat under nutrition and provide technical expertise and support to strengthen local health systems because they can't be everywhere yes. at all times. Yes. So if they get the proper training and the proper healthcare people that can handle that locally – now they know what to do. They know what to look for. They know how to get the help that they need, et cetera, et cetera. Which is great. Of course. Because that's what you really want. You don't want an organization have to, having to do this. Yeah. If they're, if they're, if they have to constantly be hands-on, yes. they can't go help other people too. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's nutrition. That's the, the first big sort of category that they focus on. The next is actually food security and livelihoods. The food security and livelihoods programs try to tackle the root causes of hunger by addressing problems of production, access, and income. Okay. All of their programs in this category are designed to try and boost vulnerable communities' access to having actual sustainable sources of food and income because the best way to fix malnutrition is to make sure people have access to food. Yes. You know what I mean? Makes and food sense. That they, they can keep having access to. And again, these can be broken down into subcategories. Like I said, we're going to be doing this for pretty much all these categories. Category, category, category. Uh, <laughs> so the first one on this is uh, evaluating local needs. AH teams are very adamant about working directly with community members to collect data on local assets, resources, and livelihood strategies. Those are what they refer to as their like data points. Okay. They do all this in the hopes of better understanding their local conditions and creating a collaborative plan of action. So, fancy words. <laughs> the idea is that they go to the communities and they're like, hey, what is going on here? Yeah. Oh, you don't have... So, what's the problem? Why can't you... Oh, okay. Well, here's how we could fix that. Because if you're just coming in and you're like, nope, here's exactly what you have to do. And I don't care. No, I don't want to hear about what's going on with you. Yeah. Then, like, you're not helping anyone. No. And plus, it changes with whatever region they're in. So well, Of course. So, it's like, here's the things that we can grow or here's how yeah. we can do this, et cetera, et cetera same thing is not going to work for everybody etc cetera, etc cetera. man uh categories and etc my favorite word for this episode uh <laughs> the next one is responding to emergencies i couldn't think of a better way to rephrase this so i'm just gonna straight from the horse's mouth this one but they said when disasters destroy infrastructure and food supplies when violence forces thousands to flee or when drought disrupts food production action against hunger responds with distributions of food cash and other items to prevent hunger in the short term and ensure that crops can be replanted and livestock restocked in the future oh wow yeah so just anytime there's any sort of not even necessarily like natural disasters and things along those lines but yeah. anytime there's any sort of problem with a food supply this that and the other um, when violence forces thousands to flee you know so anything along those lines they yeah. try to come in and help and make sure people are getting fed and getting the food and nutrients they need that's awesome well the last one for uh food security and lab hoods is provide long-term solutions because without long-term solutions again they're just going to constantly be in this place helping i mean you're helping people but not like yeah you're just gonna have to keep coming back exactly so some of the tools aah provides for long-term support are and i'm just gonna list off a bunch of stuff here so i apologize it's kind of what this whole episode is but it's just to help sort of drive the point home again 
I want you to think about this after you just gorge yourself on that like huge meal. <laughs> but some of the tools they use uh, or provide are micro grant support for families recovering from conflict, seeds and tools for agricultural recovery, livestock and veterinary supplies where needed, small business assistance and other programs that help families regain self-sufficiency. And that's the last one, so I don't know why I said it like there was a comma there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so again, very they're they're very focused on okay, like we're gonna help you and we're gonna give you some stuff to get you by. Yeah. But we this need to make you... sure that you can take care of yourselves. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. That's so cool. The next category is water and sanitation, but first I have some quick facts for you. I feel like I'm getting this episode really quick. Let's do it. I just had like 15 sugar cookies, so I feel like I'm on like a sugar high right now. So if I'm speed talking, I apologize. There's a button, depending on how you listen to this podcast. In the bottom <laughs> left corner, you can slow me down. <laughs> Those facts. So nearly 2 billion people worldwide drink unsafe water. Nearly 2 billion people worldwide drink unsafe water. That's insane. Nearly 2 billion people worldwide drink guns. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that that point was getting driven home. On top of that, every day 1,000 children die from illnesses like diarrhea, dysentery, and cholera caused by dirty water and unhygienic living conditions. That's, no. Yeah. No. So how are they trying to fix that? Yes. It's broken into, you guessed it, subcategories. Uh, (laughs) So the big one is providing access to safe water because without access to safe water, then... You can't help the problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can help the problem, but it's not. You're, you're putting a Band-Aid on it. It's yes. a temporary solution. Yes. So during emergencies, they will truck in water to any affected areas, and they'll install storage tanks and water reservoirs. But where water is scarce or unsafe, they actually uh, drill and decontaminate wells. They'll install hand pumps, protect natural springs. They'll tap into aquifers if they have to. They'll rehabilitate oh, wow. any sort of infrastructure that maybe was there but has sort of fallen to the wayside. And then they'll even pipe water into hard-to-reach villages and health centers. So, again, they're very focused on making sure that they have access to the water at all times as yeah. opposed to, like, yeah, we'll just bring in this truck again and, like, give you some. Because, that, that, again, that's a Band-Aid, but that's yes. not, like, a permanent solution. Yes. The next one is they promote sanitation and hygiene. Try and prevent outbreaks of disease during crises. AAH distributes hygiene kits and builds latrines and hand-washing stations, which I feel like is incredibly important. In at-risk communities, they actually construct water filters made from basic materials and teach healthy practices like hand-washing. Washing, oh, wow. clean utensils and drawing water from protected sources well which makes sense because i mean a lot of these remote areas they don't have these things yeah so they don't they can't that's do not, these they don't necessarily even know they might know but like they don't have the ability to necessarily cook with clean utensils all the yeah. time or to do this and do that so it's like they try to help teach them like no this is freaking important you see all those people that are dying right now because of this disease yeah that we're trying to help like this is how you fix it this is how you don't get that disease and then lastly they uh ensure lasting change is their like big thing they do that by training community-based water committees committees (laughs) committees no but so they 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 train community-based so in the in those local communities 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 in those local communities they train water-based committees to manage the water. I mean, that's literally it. So, because, I mean, again, this is sort of, I've, I've said this like five or ten times now, five or ten uh, times now, but if they are constantly there, like, supervising and making sure that, like, everything's running smoothly at all times for the rest of existence, that's, that, that's other people that they can't be helping. Yes, 100%. So, 
everything that they do, they focus on making sure people in the community themselves know how to deal with these problems and know how to like make sure that they're getting good water, making sure they have good sanitation, making sure that like all these models and sort of hygiene practices are actually being used and like worked on. Yeah. Which is awesome. I love that. I think it's pretty I cool. absolutely, I really do. Because you don't hear of this often. Maybe they do it, but maybe they do it, but they don't advertise that they do it. You don't hear a lot of charities make a point to go, we're training local communities to do what we do so we don't have to be here. Yeah. it's It, it feels like, at least from an outside perspective, I'm not trying to like diss all charities because I don't know all charities. Well, of course. But it does seem like, from an outside perspective that most charities are in the business of, Oh, there was a problem. Here's an emergency. Let's go solve the emergency. Okay. Bye. Yeah. I'm not saying that's true, but from an outside person looking in, that is how I perceive a lot of these sort of things. So next up on the big category, not our subcategory, big (laughs) category is a emergency response, which I'm actually, I'm not going to go into all of the things because we've actually talked about all of these already while discussing the other categories. But of course it also has subcategories. I'm just going to list them off. It's evaluate emergency needs, provide emergency aid and prevent and manage risk. That makes sense. I thought so. I thought that was pretty self-explanatory, especially with everything else we've already talked about, which does bring us to our last category, big category, not our subcategory. (laughs) Uh, which is research and innovation. So Action Against Hunger's research and innovation work focuses on the prevention, treatment, and drivers of undernutrition. That's because, I mean, that's their whole shtick is like making sure people are fed. So undernutrition is obviously the, how do we fix this? Yes. What do we need to do? 2019 alone, they contributed to 46 active research and innovation projects across 25 countries in collaboration with over 58 partners and with funding support from 21 different institutional donors. Oh, wow. It's a lot of numbers of this through you, so I apologize. Point is, they are working very hard to fix this. They actually have links to all their studies that they've helped fund, as well as different guides and protocols that have come up or like been written because of the research they've done. All of those will be linked. To, well, not all of them will be linked. I have the link to the research innovation page that has the links has to the all link of those. There. But there's one in particular that stood out to me. Yeah. Pretty hugely. Hugely. That's a word. We're calling it hugely. Committity. Uh, committity. So that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. And that is, since you asked. I did ask. Very much so. F100. So one of the biggest contributions that AAH made to the fight against hunger is something that I didn't actually even know existed. But it makes sense. Yeah. And that's F100. I've heard of that before. Have you really? I have, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Okay, cool. So I'm obviously being a little cagey on purpose to build suspense. But F100 is the name for the therapeutic milk formula that AAH's scientific committee pioneered and is now currently being used by all major humanitarian aid organizations to help treat acute malnutrition. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I could not have told you that. No, no, no. I mean, I couldn't have told you that either. I didn't know it existed. Um, just for, and I, I probably should have defined this earlier. I apologize. But uh, just for anyone wondering, acute malnutrition is a form of undernutrition caused by a decrease in food consumption and or illness that results in sudden weight loss or oedema. O-E-D-E-M-A. Oedema, I feel like, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is fluid retention. But So acute malnutrition can be moderate or severe. And prolonged malnutrition can cause stunted growth, otherwise known as stunting. Now that you know that, yes. back to the F100. Got it. Also known as 
Formula 100. <laughs> <laughs> There's also an F75, which is actually like the the starter. It's like the the prep to get you ready for Formula 100. Because they don't want to, if you're super malnourished, it's the same thing with like when you hear all the stuff and read books and stuff about the Holocaust. You know what I mean? Like all these severely malnourished people. Yeah. They couldn't just start feeding them steaks and lobster yeah. and this would get Their sick. bodies wouldn't handle it. They'd reject it. it. Yeah. So they had to start them off with like porridges and things along mm-hmm. those lines and sort of build them up to be able to eat real food again. Yeah. Uh, so same idea. The F-75 is sort of the prep to get them ready to handle all the nutrients that the F-100 gives them. Okay. But it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an incredibly nutrient-dense milk formula for malnourished children. It was created in 1994, and after being adopted by every major humanitarian aid organization, which I'm not joking when I say every major humanitarian aid organization, wow, it's gone on to help lower the mortality rate of severely malnourished children under the age of five from 25% to 5%. Holy crap. Drastic drop in. Yeah. Oh, my God. Over 20% drop. Just because they now had a formula that they could give to these kids. That's insane. They actually even use these to create a peanut-based paste. So, like, they mix the F100 yeah. formulas with the with this peanut paste, and they package it like a protein bar. Oh wow! Um, so it allows, okay. yeah, it allows treatment without requiring anything to be prepared or refrigerated because yeah. the formulas obviously it's a it's a formula. Yeah. So you, it has to be prepared, it has to be refrigerated and stored, so it's going to be transported properly. This, that, and the mm-hmm. other. But they were able to turn it into a protein, protein bar. bar, basically that they can just package up and ship out boxes of and you're good to go yeah which is pretty sweet i don't want to drop the f-bomb i actually wrote anyway it's pretty effing cool but before i wrap up you know what time it is what time is it charity navigator score time okay anyway uh (laughs) obviously the biggest staple of our podcast of course i am pleased to say that action against hunger not only has a perfect four-star rating but much like puppies behind bars is part of that special elite club and has maintained a perfect four-star rating for 13 consecutive years holy shit good for them hell yeah yes uh as a matter of fact i one of the things it's, it's on their site but you can also do the numbers but 93 cents from every one dollar donated goes directly to fighting to end world hunger wow so they are able to turn around 93 cents from every dollar donated and actually put that towards programs and like research and making more formula protein bars and like helping people and getting water things installed and all of that that's crazy. 93 cents from every dollar yeah absolutely insane that's insane i thought it was but yeah i just hope that you sort of hear this either pre or post thanksgiving meal and reflect a little bit maybe think about how much food you waste because i know we waste a lot of leftovers we waste a lot of stuff on our end the like stats on food waste are just gross to think about sort of make me sick a little bit but i'm gonna leave you with a sort of motto that uh ah has adopted it's a little something like this (laughs) for food against hunger and malnutrition for clean water against killer diseases for freedom from hunger for everyone for good happy thanksgiving happy thanksgiving i like that i like that a lot i thought it was topical that was a good one get you pulling out the good ones killing it (laughs) my little terrible gunshot sound effect i guess i don't know what that was muted scoreboard Uh, we need one of those like DJ buttons, like for the radio, yes. where I can just like press random sound effects in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, people would love you would love that, right? I think you would love that. Yeah. 
You know, it'd be cool huh. if we had fans and they made us stuff like that. <laughs> Make me a DJ sound effect scoreboard. Yeah. Sound effect scoreboard? You had, you said scoreboard. Now scoreboard's in my head. Sorry. It's obviously time for bed. But just like, you know, little things that we could play. It's like ad break. That'd be cool. I'd be down yeah. for that. Yeah. Or like charity navigator time. I'm just saying it is a staple. It is. It's a staple. Very much so. Well, that's all we got. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm out of um, things to say. I'm ready to go gorge myself on Thanksgiving tomorrow and follow us on all the socials. Oh yeah, that's important. Let me stop ranting for a second. Uh, follow us on the socials at Sunshine and Murder Podcast. Uh, you can also email us at Sunshine and Murder Podcast at gmail.com. Except for Twitter, it's Sun and Murder Pod. Character limits are a thing. What else can you do? You can leave us a review with words. With words, not just stars. Stars are cool. I love stars. Trust me. Stars make us look good and they make me feel even better. But stars with words are even better like that's that's a it's a little higher up there you know makes me feel extra extra special tell uh, your friends and family tell your friends and family tell your coworkers. the idea is tell everyone you know what you should do do this write sunshine and murder podcast on like a bunch of pieces of paper a bunch of like scrap pieces of paper walk up to the tallest building near you I just throw whether it. that's your house or an actual building. An actual building? Not that your house is an actual building. If it's someone else's house, do not stand on someone else's house without their permission. Yeah, I don't want you to end up on like the news or like a <laughs> like a bad list. Do not get arrested. But you know what you should do? Just Santa Claus style. Just go drop down people's chimneys <laughs> and leave these little Sunshine and Murder podcast notes everywhere. <laughs> Please and thank you. On your Christmas cards, put Sunshine, Sunshine and Murder. Murder <laughs> thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.